You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending October 30th, 2015. Hello and welcome to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer, also with a slate cold, so my apologies, guys. Let's dive right into headlines. On October 23rd, Office of Federal Procurement Policy Administrator Ann Rung urged agencies to help reduce the administrative burden of certifying earned value management systems by accepting certifications completed by other agencies. Contractors have previously noted that many agencies have similar review processes, so if agencies simply recognize each other's certifications, they could eliminate duplicative compliance reviews and cut costs. OFPP urged agencies to work together to establish reciprocal agreements and post their EVM processes on their public websites to help identify overlap. If an agency determines that its certification process is substantially similar to the process of another agency, those agencies should consider agreeing to mutually recognize the EVMS certification, Rung says. A sample template for such an agreement is attached to the memorandum. The Office of Science and Technology Policy has released a new tool to help agencies design and maintain projects that can benefit from public participation. The Federal Crowdsourcing and Citizen Science Toolkit outlines the basic steps for creating a crowdsourcing project and offers case studies, a library of related resources, and connectivity to existing communities of practice. Using crowdsourcing can be a great way to collect data, interpret results, and make new discoveries, so it's worth keeping this toolkit in mind if your agency has any issues that could benefit from brainstorming and help from engaged members of the public. The tool goes hand-in-hand with the September 30th memorandum from OSTP Director John Holdren calling for more public involvement in advancing agency missions and is one facet of the third update of the Open Government National Action Plan released by the Obama administration Wednesday. In defense news, Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy Director Claire Grady has authorized a class deviation prohibiting the use of fiscal year 2016 funds to contract with any corporation that requires its employees or contractors to sign internal confidentiality agreements that would restrict the lawful reporting of waste, fraud, and abuse to the government. This deviation is effective immediately and will remain in effect until incorporated into the FAR or otherwise rescinded. The Air Force has reached a verbal agreement with Lockheed Martin for a five-year contract to build C-130J transport aircraft. According to Lockheed, the firm is close to finalizing a multi-year contract for up to 83 C-130Js for the Coast Guard, Air Force, and Marine Corps and hopes to complete remaining contract actions and certifications by the end of the year. The Air Force this week awarded its long-range strike bomber contract to Northrop Grumman. The $55 billion contract provides for engineering, manufacturing development, and early production of the new aircraft, which will replace the current aging bomber fleet. The two-part contract includes a $24.1 billion cost-reimbursable contract for the engineering and manufacturing development phase and options for the first five production lots, which would cover the first 21 of an expected fleet of 100 LRSBs. The production options are fixed price with cost incentives with an average unit cost of $511 million. To keep the program on track, the Air Force is using mature systems and existing technologies, agile acquisition processes, and open architecture, 
which will allow the service to more easily integrate new technologies and maintain competition for future requirements. A Boeing Lockheed Martin team lost out on the contract, and Boeing CEO Chris Chadwick told employees the firm will decide whether to protest the decision after it receives a debrief from the Air Force. Yes, they are not happy about that. <laughs> not pleased. $55 billion is a lot of dough. It, it is. It could be more. <laughs> so some Workforce Recognition Award news to relate. Through December 23rd, Federal Computer Week will accept nominations for its 2016 Federal 100 Awards, which recognize individuals who have made outstanding contributions to the federal IT community during the 2015 calendar year. That can include agency employees, contractors, lawmakers, and academics. Nominations must be submitted online through FCW's website. Social Security Administration Deputy Chief Information Officer Herb Strauss was presented with the 2015 Janice K. Mendenhall Spirit of Leadership Award by the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council. The award recognizes individuals for their demonstrated leadership and commitment to public service. The Professional Services Council and Fairfax County Chamber of Commerce have named Office of Federal Procurement Policy Administrator Anne Rung their Public Sector Partner of the Year in recognition of her leadership, innovation, and commitment to government contracting excellence. The award will be presented to Ms. Rung at a gala dinner on November 5th, which will also include the Greater Washington Government Contractor Awards. Last week, the Office of Personnel Management Office of Inspector General released a management alert advising OPM to recompete the Federal Flexible Spending Account Program contract. OAG found the contract has exceeded a 12-year performance period beyond the FAR requirement for a five-year limit without a recompete. Extensions to the contract's period of performance were granted on four separate occasions in spite of substantial changes to the program requirements. In addition, OIG noted that a recompete of the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program contract is almost a year behind schedule. And OIG attributed the delays to two issues. First, OPM did not properly oversee the Federal Employee Insurance Operations Group, which manages the contract after the contract was awarded. And second, FEIO allowed its need for program continuity to override its responsibility for ensuring contracts are recompeted. OIG recommended that OPM ensure a new contract was awarded prior to the December 23, 2015 expiration date and to implement new management processes and controls to mitigate these issues going forward. And this week, OPM issued a final rule to link the definitions of general schedule locality pay area boundaries to updated metropolitan area definitions established by OMB in 2013. The regulations also established 13 new locality pay areas. This rule is effective November 27th, and the regulations are applicable on the first day of the first pay period beginning on or after January 1st, 2016. And that brings us to the freewheeling discussion part of the podcast. Last week, the, uh, we talked a lot about how the administration uh, is focusing on centralizing acquisition, uh, not just expertise and support, but actual contracting, uh, both within GSA through category management and also through other GWACs and shared services. And just to give a brief recap on developments from last week. Yes, uh, what did I miss? Yes, what did you miss? <laughs> agencies are prohibited from awarding new contracts for laptop or desktop computers and are strongly urged to use GSA's Alliant 2, NASA's SOUP, and NIH's CAOCS contract 
OMB also issued proposed revisions to Circular A130, which governs IT purchasing, and announced a new shared services board that will consolidate shared services activities and governance in a central body within GSA. It's like an avalanche of stuff, critical it, mass being reached with all these crazy. things. It huh? was crazy. There was a <laughs> lot of stuff last week. So this week was quieter. We didn't have any major announcements. Uh, but the administration did pick up a win on the budget front that I think could allow it to focus on its management priorities uh, for the next year. Uh, yeah, this wouldn't week, that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be lovely? Uh, this week, the White House and Congress agreed to a two-year budget that exceeds the Budget Control Act spending caps for both defense and civilian agencies. Now, the White House didn't get the full budget it asked for for 2016, but it came pretty darn close. And Congress agreed to suspend the debt ceiling until March of 2017, so no more fiscal cliffs for a while. Uh, and this week's highlight from the Hill has the full details. Highlights from the Hill, of course, is our weekly publication uh, from Scott Cox, who breaks down the budget deal in more detail and also some other acquisition-related legislation that's currently in the works. Um, so I won't go into the into the uh, into the into the weeds on the, yeah. yeah. So I won't get into the nitty-gritty. Uh, briefly, agencies aren't totally out of the woods. We have a top-line budget for 2016, which, of course, we were already in the middle of, uh, but we don't have final appropriations yet. So we're still facing down the December 11 deadline when the current continuing resolution expires and we need more spending legislation. Uh, but it does seem like there's a solid blueprint for going forward. Um, yeah, I think everybody was very eager to not have a shutdown fight now and also not have another one next October mm. when, of course, we'll be in the middle of the, the presidential campaign. Yes. Um, so it's an unrelated, uh, but I think that's a very important development for the White House. Uh, one, it eases the budget crunch to the tune of $50 billion uh, for 2016, $25 billion for civilian agencies, $25 billion for defense. And it will also let officials uh, focus on management priorities instead of budget battles. Um, we got some hints this week about where the administration is going and what they're thinking about. Officials talked about uh, some of their initiatives at the ACT-IAC Executive Leadership Conference on Monday. Yes, we saw a lot of lot of coverage coming out from that. And uh, Beth Angerman, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. That's such a cool name. Um, <laughs> Executive Director <laughs> of the Department of the Treasury's Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation, who is now on loan to GSA to head up their newly launched Unified Shared Services Management, or USSM, office. She spoke at the conference about her priorities for the office, and it centered a lot around not so much the shared services aspect itself, but um, preparation for it. And then, you know, choosing a provider and how do you do that? And then post-migration, making sure agencies realign their operations to reflect the outsourcing they've done. This was really timely as we covered a survey this week of members of the Association of Government Accountants. And the big concerns that were being turned up there uh, were being thoroughly prepared for a transition, being worried that some kind of horrible data incompatibility might come to light midway through, you know, moving over and not being really sure how much money it's all going to require and what the bottom line is in the future. People have the general idea that, sure, they should be able to enjoy lower costs once that initial extra investment in the transfer over is done, but how much exactly and how real are the projected savings? A number of the survey respondents indicated, sure, all the savings sounded good, but once it was all said and done, 
their internal personnel were either checking the new providers' work so closely, it was practically as much labor as they had been doing before, or they didn't really know what to do to rehome the personnel who'd previously been dedicated to handling the transactions now outsourced. So, you know, all that money was still staying there, and nothing new was being picked up in terms of efficiencies. So Angerman wants to put together official guidance on how to pick your provider, how to prepare for the transition, and as well require agencies to really sketch out and think through ahead of time. How is their organization going to change afterwards? And then she wants USSM to be responsible for holding them to those plans. She did note, you don't have to start canning your FTEs. <laughs> that is not what this is about. Just think in terms of you freed them up, and these people can now be reassigned maybe onto higher level work. Instead of data entry, they could be doing data analysis and strategic planning. So it needn't be a bad thing that you're letting someone else now handle these functions for you. Yeah, that's 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 really good insights. That's um, wow. I mean, a lot of concerns that you don't really think about. You know, it's like, oh, just you know, send your work over to that person. But yeah, there are things: data compatibility and managing their work. Make you know, yeah. keeping an eyeball on the shared services providers. That that would be good guidance to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of along in that vein, uh, GSA administrator Denise Turner Roth this week uh, said she would like even more spending to be consolidated under GSA's management. Uh, Roth encourages more centralization and fewer agency-specific contracts, but she just say that agencies still would have a role in their own acquisitions. Uh, for example, uh, managers with responsibilities for certain spend would be deployed across government to help them develop requirements, implement programs, things like that. Um, as we've heard several times over the last few weeks, uh, centralizing processes, contract awards, vendor paperwork, uh, would free agencies to focus on their core mission work. And like you just mentioned, it would free employees to do more interesting or higher level work, more challenging things uh, where their expertise and their experience can be put to better use than managing functions. Right. Um, Yeah, so GSA, interestingly, sees professional services contracts uh, as one area of opportunity. Um, In an interview, Tiffany Hickson, Region 9 Commissioner for the Federal Acquisition Service, uh, said the administration wants GSA to help consolidate professional services contracts as they expire. GSA estimates there's about $26 billion in professional services contracts are going to reach the end of their performance periods during the next fiscal year, uh, 2016, and the administration wants to consolidate that work into fewer multiple award contracts uh, or at least prevent the creation of new agency-specific contracts. And where did we hear that? With laptops and desktops. Right. <laughs> so GSA will uh, encourage agencies to consider existing vehicles uh, such as its professional services schedule, which right. recently, recently revamped. Yes. yes. Or Oasis. Yes. Uh, which Newly is launched. Well, newly launched and getting lots of dough. Mm. Uh, military has committed to that. DHS has committed to that. Uh, so to use those to replace their expiring IDIQs. Uh, now, one reason for that was very interesting. GSA found that about 80% of spending on professional services in the last year went to just 140 contractors. And we've we've seen that before. That was I think that was uh, office supplies. You know, we heard a lot of complaints from businesses about. You know, there wasn't going to be as much competition on the BPAs being awarded for, for office supplies, but GSA's previous analysis found that the same vendors were winning the work anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, so you follow the logic. Why should agencies manage multiple contracts with a relative handful of vendors? You know, 140 mm-hmm. is not a lot of contract, and nope. vice versa. So why should one contractor have to manage 
15 contracts with 15 different agencies. That's a lot of duplicative work. You know, when these can be consolidated under a couple of contract vehicles, um, managed centrally. Yep. So agencies would be able to compete their task orders, choose their vendors, and obviously manage their vendors, but they wouldn't have to deal with awarding or managing that underlying IDIQ. Mm, so much simpler. Yeah, everybody's freed up. So, so freed up. You know, that, that's, that's an opportunity for consolidation. Uh, the administration also is expected to release a memo before the end of this calendar year to require agencies to purchase credit monitoring services and related services from the BPA recently awarded by GSA. So that would be their only vehicle for that. Uh, GSA also is considering adjusting its existing schedules to reflect areas where agencies tend to ask for the same services from the same group of vendors, like we're just talking about with professional services. Um, in this case, they were uh, things like acquisition training, uh, language services. There's your handful of handful of vendors that are getting all, most of this work. So instead of creating a new BPA, in this case, GSA would define the requirements at the special item number level, which would let contractors compete for a schedule contract instead of running them all through a new BPA competition. So it's just another more opportunities uh, you know, for giving agencies a central location to buy common services, things that all agencies buy or things that are going through a handful of vendors anyway, so why should there be multiple contracts? A very little bit of insight this week um, into the administration thoughts and plans for like shared services, for, for consolidating more work. Um, and with the budget outlook potentially stable, I think uh, the White House is going to be able to focus its attention on these areas. Um, in the last couple of months, President Obama has given several interviews where he talked about Federal IT is one of his top priorities, and he, he didn't come out and say the word legacy, but <laughs> I, I think that's what we're talking about. This is something that the president can say later was a signature achievement of his eight years in office. It isn't a hot-button issue that a bunch of people with pitchforks are going to come after <laughs> to try to overturn later. <laughs> yes, hopefully not. Hopefully not for agencies. Uh, you know, with I think with, you know, right now we've got, you know, 2017 budget planning underway. Um, I think we're just going to see a lot more guidance between now and the end of the year and a lot of deadlines between now and the end of next year. Okay. So I think we're just going to see a lot more of this, not less. Yes, agreed, agreed. <laughs> this is going to be like flurry, like little snowflakes of memoranda, which we've already yes. been seeing happening. So, okay, well, those are our thoughts for this week, huh? <laughs> um, that's, it. <laughs> that's it. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to this week's headlines for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded the podcast. You can also find a link to this week's Highlights from the Hill, where Scott Cox, our fabulous swami of legislation, takes a more detailed look at this week's budget deal. And you can also comment about the podcast. We'd love to have your feedback on the format or content or anything else you'd like to tell us, including requests for coverage. So thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next Friday, November 6th, for another weekly news recap. Goodbye.